happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Did Cool Stuff, uh, the podcast that I can't make the same joke introduction to twice in a row, so I can't talk about adjectives, and then I feel like I don't know how to... It's a show about cool people in history. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, and your guest today, for all of this week, is Courtney Kosak. Yay, that's me. Hi, guys. Nice nice to be back. (laughs) Uh, Courtney is a most importantly a dog mom, but also is an uh, compulsive podcaster. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes records podcasts walking around the house um, into a Zoom microphone, and then they don't even go anywhere because no one has the heart to tell her that it is not recording. Oh, you're talking shit! I have a podcast about <laughs> making podcasts, so that would be Wait, really, really bad if I was so terrible <laughs> at it. Wait, what's what's your podcast about making podcasts? Podcast bestie. Oh, well, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I've probably said this on air before, but I once had a stress dream where I had to tell someone I was a podcaster. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like i kind of obsessively honest, and someone's like, what do you do for a living? And I was like, I'm a podcaster. <laughs> I know. It is kind of a weird thing. Like when I am just have to admit it to someone random, like I'm getting a blowout yeah. or something, and then... It, <laughs> It's a weird thing to talk about. <laughs> try yeah. uh, try being me explaining to men on dating apps what you do for a living. I try I try being honest <laughs> about it. I try giving them the most straightforward version of it. I try dumbing it down. I try <laughs> like basically lying. It's still they're like, oh. Uh, can you tell me what you do? And I'm like, I fucking just did. Or they like, like the it for the most successful wrong podcast networks in the fucking world. It's very yeah. confusing. Like, it's very confusing for them. Like, but but you're blonde. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like, what 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 do you mean? There's the, the bleach in your hair. Um, what? Yeah. yeah. <sighs> Sorry, I just vented. I'm Sophie. I'm the producer. <laughs> Yep. But see, you do a respectable job. Podcast producer, that is a respectable line of work because that automatically clears the air that there's like money involved. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Um, Otherwise, it's that that's really the only ambiguous. thing that makes things yeah. legit. What, what, if, yeah. what, if, what if they're like, what do you do for a living? I've secured the bag. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I catfish and rob people on Tinder. What do you do for a living? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, if you've been listening to this series, you know that cute boys yeah, are the enemy the bane of our existence. Yeah. 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 The, 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 we, we, we cannot allow this to go on any further. Yeah. Um, our editor's Ian Johnson. Hi, Ian. Hi, Hi Ian. Ian. And our music was written for us by Unwoman. Yay. So we are talking about San Francisco. This week, we are talking about sex work in the American West or the Old West, or whatever you want to call it. And in particular, we're talking about San Francisco. We have just talked about how around 1849, uh, thus the 49ers, a lot of people showed up in San Francisco, and it went from not very many people to a lot more people, and it continued to have a red light district. Uh, It still does, but it's a different one now. And so when the gold rush first hit, the main women working there were Mexican, Chilean, and Panamanian. Um, soon after, white women showed up for work. Also Chinese women, who were mostly not free, and we're going to talk about that in a bit. Uh, oh. Most of the Chinese women who worked in San Francisco for several decades were trafficked. To be honest, I wasn't sure if I was like, I was going to try and come up with a way to tell the script without having to talk about sex trafficking, because it's most conflated. anti-sex work campaign, yeah. yeah. Most anti-sex work campaigners spread false information that implies the majority of sex workers in the United States are trafficked or are working against their will. This is not the case. Um, And anti-sex trafficking laws are primarily used against uh, women who are working consensually, uh, to my understanding. Most of the women of the time that we're talking about um, were, if they were driven to prostitution, and some of them describe their work that way, it was because it was the only work available that paid women a living wage. And so... Many of them are very upfront that they're like, no, capitalism is why I do this job, right? Um, And even would describe it that way. Like in my mind, it's a very modern thing for Americans to actually have the courage to name capitalism as a Uh economic system that is destructive. But uh, people who aren't afraid to be publicly sex workers aren't afraid of a lot of things. So they're naming that from the beginning. This fear that of, of... sex trafficking has been used to criminalize and mistreat sex workers since basically forever. And there's this whole white slavery panic in the early 20th century that alongside the international anarchist movement led to the development of international policing between European nations and the U.S. and shit. These were the things that international policing existed to stop is white slavery. They didn't give a shit about all the fucking non-white slaves. And then also like international political criminals, the anarchists. Um, is this where the Comstock law came into? No, that no. actually, that predates that. We did an episode on that in early birth control pioneers. Um, and Comstock was kind of in some ways like the East Coast, one of these folks in some ways. Oh. Um, and he was a moral crusader who was like, I hate anything that might be um, sexy. So I'm going to stockpile it. I'm just going to give me a boner. You're going it. to jail. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm going to fucking take photos and keep them in my archive of sexy things. <laughs> um, he was a total fucking piece of shit perv. Like be a perv, but don't be a, a closet perv. Just do it. It's fine. Depending on your thing. In 1910, you get what's called the man act. We'll come back to the, the trafficking stuff later, but first we're going to talk about the, how it's been used, how anti-trafficking laws are used to, to hurt people. 
1910, you get what's called the Mann Act, which makes it a felony to transport any woman or girl for the purpose of prostitution or debauchery or for any other immoral purpose. Gotta love a law that says it is illegal to do immoral. This is the vaguest law I've ever, and, and the world is full of vague laws. It is mostly used at this point to criminalize interracial couples, especially black men who sleep with white women, like alumni of the pod, heavyweight champion of the world, Jack Johnson, um, at the first heavyweight boxer, uh, black heavyweight boxer of the world. And he was arrested under the Mann Act for bringing his, like, I think, wife to a different state. Oh. Because it's immoral for a black man to sleep with a white woman at this time, right? Occasionally, women sometimes get arrested for, like, trafficking their, themselves. I tried to look this up, but it's a very hard and vague thing to Google. This is something I hear from sex worker friends. But it, it created this situation where I was like, women were, like, not allowed to leave the states they were in, essentially, because you were, like, crossing state lines. And if you're not, like... I'm bringing my pussy with me. I, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, well, if you leave it at home, it might be okay. But, um... <laughs> And so you, uh, with the Mann Act, you start getting this conspiracy theory that there's this huge international movement of brown people who steal white women into sexual slavery. This is offensive on a million levels. One of those levels is that there was a real conspiracy, not a conspiracy, but there was a real criminal organization um, that was stealing of Chinese folks who are stealing other Chinese folks and transporting them into, you know, it's like, but no one fucking gives a shit. I mean, some people give a shit about that and we'll talk about it in a bit, but like, I want to quote friend of the pod, the anarchist feminist, Emma Goldman, who's also in that early birth control pioneers episode. Uh, she probably did some sex work herself. It, her sex work was, have you ever heard of that? I have no idea how common the story is. Um, she's an early feminist activist who's part of the labor movement as an anarchist. And at one point she probably does sex work and it's to raise money to buy her boyfriend a gun so that she can sh so he can shoot an industrialist who's like killing his striking <laughs> workers. I had not heard that. But when you said friend of the pod, I was thinking like, oh, you know, our contemporary, not like this. Oh, old yeah, yeah. Timey. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just someone who's been on the podcast before. And she like shows up all kinds of places. Um, obviously, sometimes I go looking for her because I think she's cool, but I didn't go looking for her this time. It's just like she comes up more than once in, in this story because she's just part of this stuff. And so she has a quote about the Man Act. What is really the cause of the trade in women? Not merely white women, but yellow and black women as well. Exploitation, of course. The merciless Moloch of capitalism that fattens on underpaid labor, thus driving thousands of women and girls into prostitution. And... So again, there's this exception to the no large organized group stealing people into sexual slavery, and that is the early Chinese-American prostitution, uh, which worked in the form of indenture that absolutely amounted to sex slavery. U.S. law can be blamed for most of this, I think. U.S. law made the situation ripe for the exploitation of Chinese immigrant women, um, because even before the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882 that explicitly banned Chinese men from bringing their wives to the States, because the U.S. wants, yeah, they... The U.S. is fucking evil. Um, the U.S. wants their labor, right? They're building the railroads, they're doing all this shit. Right. Um, but they do not want their permanent residence, right? So don't bring your family over. And the way that they would keep people from bringing family over before eventually just making it illegal for you to bring your family was 
by keeping wages low for Chinese workers so that they couldn't afford to bring their families. And that was a conscious thing that like bosses and shit were doing. Plus, all of the anti-Chinese violence that was happening that was very common meant that people didn't want to bring their families over. They're like, I am going into this lawless, horrible, scary place called the United States of America to try and make some money digging gold. I will send it back to my family. You know, I'll be back when I can, right? So the ratio of men to women in the Chinese immigrant community was very high. In 1850, there were 4,025 Chinese folks in San Francisco. Seven of them were women. What? Yeah. And a lot of what you read about this whole thing blames it on like Chinese patriarchy or whatever, right? Which is part of it. Patriarchy is part of it and had specific Chinese characteristics, you know, cultural characteristics. Um, but other sources make it clear that it was nativism and capitalism working together against Chinese immigrants that laid this groundwork for uh, unfree labor. So for... Chinese women from around the countryside uh, were, were kidnapped or lured or sold into indenture. Uh, researcher Lucy Cheng Harata basically compares the American pre-capitalist model of work with the Chinese semi-feudal model. So instead of a business arrangement between madam and worker, it was fundamentally unfree. Um, in the Western world, prostitutes were, quote, fallen women, whereas from the Chinese perspective, they were women obeying the orders of their family. But before anyone gets on too high of a horse about this, the West has a model for women who are forced to obey their family too, the orders of their family. And that's called marriage. <laughs> it, things have changed culturally now, but it is not a free arrangement at this time, right, in the United States to be a married woman. We've already talked about one woman who started doing sex work at her husband's insistence and for his profit. And I read a whole lot more about people doing that in this episode. Um, this is not good, but what I'm trying to say is that because this thing that we're talking about leads to a lot of anti-Chinese bigotry, you know? So I want to be like real clear that. What part of it? What do you mean? How did it lead to the bigotry? So a lot of anti-Chinese bigotry at the time would focus on the fact that there was this uh, this sexual slavery happening to be like, these people culturally bad, immoral. Inherently, yeah. Yeah, like keep everyone out, um, continue the situation that actually makes this happen by criminalizing people. Like there was actually a couple of years from 1849 to 1854 where Chinese women worked freely in San Francisco. But by 1854, Chinese secret society called Tongs, uh, basically mafias, managed to get a monopoly on the whole thing. And for seven decades, sexual slavery was big business in San Francisco. And this got all kinds of people rich. Well, not all kinds, mostly men. Although some women did run these things too. Um, did anybody get out of their indentured servitude? Like, did they yeah. get their freedom? Yeah. Okay, well, so it's funny. I read this whole 30-page academic paper about the specific conditions that they were dealing with. Um, and it talked about how on average the women ended up working for about four or five years on average for their indenture. A lot of them, that average is low because they died, right? Oh, uh, God. A lot of women died as a, as a result of this. Um, there are stories that are potentially apocryphal about... Um, I try not to like focus on the like really horrible shit. A lot of them died. Um, a lot of them were, were 
killed uh, when they were like no longer useful, and a lot of them died of all kinds of horrible bad shit. Yeah, but some of them did complete their indenture and and go on. But more of them, I don't know if more of them, a lot of them also got out by um, running away or being rescued. And we'll talk about some of those people in a little bit. This is the the darkest part of the whole thing of this particular episode. So white landlords made a fucking ton of money off of this. They would charge Chinese like brothels two to three times what they would charge anyone else. And they would... And of course, customs officials were being bribed constantly to get people into the country. And so the the indenture is ostensibly a do this long enough and you'll be free. This is often a lie. The different, there's like a couple, there's like four or five contracts that have been found, like specific language of this is what your contract is. Um, and there's a lot of like conjecture and a lot of different ways that it works in different situations. The women often became debt slaves, uh, basically unable to pay for the fees incurred in smuggling them to the States. Um, they even had to pay the wages of the kidnapper. And their contractors would say things like, you have to work 320 days of the year or your contract will extend automatically another year. But sick days don't count. Menstruating counts as, me- as a sick day. If you got pregnant, they would just like tack a year onto your fucking contract. And some ended up just trapped into perpetual labor their entire lives. So eventually, the politicians slowly swung into action because they were racist. Uh, the Chinese job, the Chinese slaves were stealing jobs from white women. That was their fucking complaint. <laughs> what? Yeah, be- because when there's no like like um, sleeping with people to be had, they would like do seamstress work, and so like they're like stealing jobs because they're because they charge less because they're. Anyway, whatever. I'm really angry Forced about all this. to take yeah. less wages. Yeah. My God. Yeah. Um, which is, I mean, that gets reflected too in the way that um, uh, immigrant white labor was turned against newly freed black labor in the wake of the Civil War, where they were like, these people work for basically nothing because they had just recently worked for nothing. You know, this was used as the main argument against Chinese immigrants in the US for a very long time. Uh, as if. Chinese immigrants weren't the main people who suffered at the hands of these organized criminal syndicates. Racist laws, this is going to shock you, didn't stop the problem. Ugh. The Chinese Exclusion Act of, I think, 1882 forbade bringing women over like more explicitly, right? Um, and this did slow down the importation of women, but it didn't stop it. And it made corrupt officials even more rich. And it led to Chinese Americans being trafficked as well. The earlier, the first couple generations are only taken from China. um, And now people are being captured in the United States as well. Why? Because it's illegal if you're already over here? So, no, why they didn't from the beginning? Well, yeah. Why did that, like, encourage this trafficking of them later? I think overall, I think most of the women who were taken in China and girls who were taken in China... A lot of it was like arrangements with family. A lot of it was the family says, you are going to go do this. You are going to pay this indenture or you you are going to pay this indenture and send money back to us, right? So people weren't, there, there isn't a reason to do that with someone who is already in America, right? Because um, they're right. not necessarily part of that. I think this is like, I read a little bit about this. So it's like half what I read and half me trying to put the pieces together. But basically, once it was no longer profitable or like possible to get the numbers of people you needed from China, 
well, where are we going to get Chinese women? We're like, well, now there's Chinese women here too because there's people who grew up here, right? right? Okay. So what was more effective than the Chinese Exclusion Act, which was explicitly a racist law, at stopping this violence was also friend of the pod, the concept of direct action, which is today's sponsor. Uh, if you have a problem, <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um, I liked it. If you have a problem, sometimes appealing to authorities and waiting for them to solve the problem is less effective than collectively with your friends and your community looking into what those solutions are and doing it. Uh, much like people drove the hounds out of San Francisco, you too can solve problems by the application of direct action. And then whatever other ads are just as good as direct action. Just as effective. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just like totally. capitalism is known for. <laughs> yeah. Go for it. <laughs> effective solutions to all of life pro life's problems. <laughs> Assuming your problem is you don't have a new car. <laughs> Here's ads. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six x visit tomboyx.com hi i'm cindy crawford and i'm the founder of meaningful beauty when dr sabah and i decided to do a skincare line together he said to me we are going to give women meaningful beauty and i said that's exactly right we want to give women meaningful beauty which means each and every product is meaningful it has a a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful Beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. Big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. So some other folks worked way more directly to rescue these women. Most notably, the women themselves, who often escaped. Um, and they would get chased by Tong enforcers. Sometimes men would fall in love with them. And I guess it's like one of those things where like, I mean, men falling in love with these often prove very bad, but sometimes it's actually very nice, right? They're actually very wonderful people. And so sometimes men would fall in love with them and then buy them their freedom, right? Other women tried to get in on the action too. Overall, the anti-vice crusading hurt sex workers. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in the last chunk of what we're going to talk about today. But sometimes it was justified and fucking cool because it turns out, it's not the selling of sex acts part that's bad. It's the fucking slavery part. That's the bad part. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I guess so like, these seem really obvious to me. <laughs> like, not all moral problems are obvious, but like, this one seems obvious to me. I'm with you. In 1875, 
five women opened the Presbyterian Women's Occidental Board of Foreign Missions, which is a a long and fancy name for a safe house. They actually formed the organization two years earlier, but like the thing they did with it is in 1875, they opened this safe house or a rescue. I believe they called it a rescue mission. A woman with a single best name in history, Margaret, in this case, Margaret Culbertson, organized a home for escaping Chinese women. One of the most prominent organizers and rescuers at this place was a woman named Tian Fu Wu. Um, who had been born in China. She actually managed to get sold into servitude twice before she was an adult, um, non-sexual oh. servitude. Oh. I know, it's like one of those like, oh, okay. And you're like, wait, hold on. But it's yeah, like, same, still yeah. like, uh, whatever. <laughs> anyway, she was sold into servitude as a child and then she was like rescued by some lady. This part, I I read a couple articles about this person in a, um, a chunk of a book, but like, didn't have enough detail. And then she like wound up working unfree as a domestic servant in a brothel in the in San Francisco while still a child. Um, and she was absolutely physically uh, uh, tormented and has scars and stuff about it. So she was rescued again. And this time she was rescued by the Presbyterians uh, who would just lead raids on mafia-controlled spaces. Um, shout out to early feminists for being fucking brave. And so she grew up in the rescue alongside other rescued girls. They, I think, paid for her to go off to college. And then she came back and kept working at the rescue. And she did two things a lot. And one of them is that she interpreted Cantonese for Chinese women who were in court. Because whenever, it's like, whenever women would get rescued, the people who claimed to own them would show up in court and be like, we want this woman back. But they would, they couldn't be like, but we have this slavery thing going on. They had to instead be like... We own her, so can you just give her back? <laughs> yeah. And so they had to be like, she stole clothes when she left or whatever. Like, you know, like the clothes she was oh wearing God. or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and so this is one of the... This is some of the work um, that this woman did was to, to interpret. And the other thing that she did was break into brothels and rescue people. Hey. Thousands of girls and women were rescued by this organization. All kinds of different numbers are presented. It seems to be somewhere between two and 6,000 were like personally rescued by like a small clique of women who did this work regularly over the course of decades, um, which is a not insubstantial part of like the total number of indentured women in San Francisco. Like it seems like a fucking, I am making this number entirely up. Well, I've read some numbers and I'm making bad math out of it. It's like a 25% chance that you're getting rescued by this organization. Oh, like they like were incredibly impactful. It gets blurry because no one's perfect in a anyway, it gets annoying. But anyway, um, I'll talk about it in a moment. So she's she ends up working in this organization. She would also vet potential husbands for the girls to make sure they weren't like gonna like kidnap them again or whatever, and also to make sure they were Christian. And her cool quote is um people asked when she was gonna get married. And she responded to say that men are only useful when it's time to move furniture. (laughs) Good for her. Yeah. (laughs) Another woman rescuing folks out of the mission was uh, Donaldina Cameron, a white woman born in New Zealand, who earned the name the Angry Angel of Chinatown. So this rescue mission is cool as shit. And overall, like really fucking in the balance, right? 
but I hate that I have to do this in the balance thing. Um, rescue girls were forced to convert to Christianity. And Those Christians. And yeah, I know. Like, why can't people just be good for the sake of being good? Like, yeah. Fucking God forbid. Um, and then <laughs> some of them ended up contracted out as like fruit pickers in Northern California by the oh, mission. Oh my God, you guys. <laughs> yeah. And their argument was because they're Protestants, right? So idle hands do the devil's work because they're trying to instill Protestant values, like a Protestant work ethic into these girls as if these girls are lazy whatever. I'm so angry about this part. But it's like kind of another form of slavery, right? It It is, Ish. but it's way the fuck more temporary. You're talking okay. about like probably a couple months and you're talking about like, it's do-gooderism doing bad, but it's like, as far as I can tell, and actually, many women actually just escaped again. Many women were like, cool, we're out of here, fuck this, and took off, right? But they, um, yeah, they were like, get taught to read and write, and they would get converted and forced converted to Christianity, and they would uh, often end up doing like four to eight weeks of work as contract workers um, to, to teach them the value of hard work. And then they'd be free. And... Like, and they seem to actually mean it. Um, and then a lot of, uh, I believe, I've only had the names of two Chinese workers at this place, but I also only have the names of three white workers at this place. I don't know what the overall balance was. Um, but a woman named uh, Yamanda Waka ended up set, eventually left and set up a similar institution in Japan for other uh, unfree um, sex workers. We'll take it, I guess, but... yeah. But be better next time. Six to eight weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Try harder. (laughs) And I don't like totally know. You know, I was like, like I read that that was the length of their contract as fruit pickers. I don't know how long. Like, obviously, some girls are like growing up there, right? I don't know if they're there until they turn 18. I don't know if they're there till they're married. That's my guess, is it's like until one of the two happens. But I, I'm not sure. Someone does know. There's entire books written about this, and and I have one week to research and incredible whatever. Anyway preemptively being defensive for people who know more about these things. So, the end of the red light district. Usually I don't read my little section heads, but I didn't have a good transition, so I'll just read that little section head and in the script. People probably know that I read from a script, um, and then I fall off script. Sorry, guys. I f- It'd be really <laughs> fucking cool if you didn't have a script. That would be <laughs> that, that brilliant. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel bad for people who ask me the details about stuff like three weeks from now. Because like, like, I'm like, it's gone, I'm baby. three subjects later, you know? Yeah. Um, I remember the broad strokes most of the time. Around the turn of the 20th century, people were like, what if we got rid of the red light district and then conflate everything that happens there from murder and non-consensual sex work to being the same as consensual sex work and consensual homosexuality and drug use and women having fun and we'll call it all crime. Okay. Yeah, that's sure. That, that's what they. So that's what they did. San Francisco got its longest-serving mayor in 1911, a boring guy named Sonny Jim. <laughs> yeah, who owned a shipping company and oversaw two different banks. Could you imagine the business card where you go into one of the two banks and they both have little business cards that are like Sonny Jim, <laughs> like like a <laughs> audience can't see me smiling, but it's gross and scary. Is he a good guy or a bad guy or yeah. just? Uh, okay. On the on the bad side, uh, on the balance, not not my favorite. He didn't like people having fun. 
He also didn't like women having basic fucking rights. Because all of the anti-sex work laws that we're going to talk about, like the Mann Act that prevents white women from sleeping with black black men, all of the anti-sex work laws that we're going to talk about just affect all women. Um, I mean, obviously, they most directly affect sex workers, but I just... It's like how... um, Well, I know why I put that later in the script. Okay, so... Uh, it's so aggravating to me that a bunch of suffragettes and first wave feminists were caught up in this anti-vice shit because it's so transparent how it plays out is the destruction of women's lives and freedom. It's, it's, ah, here's the, I already, yeah, I got right to the point I was going to make earlier. It's like how you have all these supposed feminists now working alongside literal Nazis to drive trans women out of public life. Yeah. One common knock-on effect of the current thing that's happening is that like butch cis women or tall cis women or old cis women or just any woman who doesn't look properly cis can get run out of bathrooms and changing rooms and shit. Yeah. And and you've got people who want to inspect people's genitals all the time, including children. hobby. I know. My God. I know. And this ties directly back into anti-sex work stuff. The earliest sex work laws were involved a lot of genital inspection on a regular basis and bribery and shit. So, in this campaign against vice, the city of San Francisco makes it illegal for women to go to or work at any bar in the red light district. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, sorry, no drinking or dancing for you. Um, Because drinking at a bar is the same as doing sex work morally, which is the same as being forced into doing sex work morally, according to... People but also, I wish it's like, what are they going to the do at the bar? It's like you're almost encouraging it. You know what I mean? You're like, no women can come here. Except yeah. there will be the women that do. I don't know. It's yeah, like no, turns totally. into this whole circular thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like, okay, well, now I can't work as a wait- waitress. Well, what kind of work can I do? You know? In 1913, so the, this passes 1913, uh, one of the only good jobs in town which doesn't even involve fucking anyone like saloon dancing and shit. It's just suddenly gone. This doesn't even, this law doesn't close the brothels, just the dance halls. And temperance is sweeping the nation. And soon enough, villains of the pod, the KKK, would become the armed wing of the anti-vice movement. This is something I didn't realize about the KKK until I um, did a series of episodes about them, is that the, the KKK were obviously their primary thing was the destruction of black freedom in the United States. But while they were at it, especially the second wave of the KKK, there's three waves or four, depending on how you want to look at it. The second wave that restarted in 1915 uh, was very waspy and very nativist. And so a lot of their enemies were actually immigrant Catholics as well as black people. And one of the things that they were is they were the armed enforcers for the temperance movement. Like, you drinking or moonshining, the KKK is going to try and rough you up. Which is, it's so like yeah. sober hell's angels or something. Yeah, weird. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and like, and so I just feel like that's like worth knowing who the bedfellows of the temperance movement are, right? Yeah. And, and, and this is coming, all of my hatred of this temperance movement comes from someone who, I don't drink. I think drugs are overall really shitty and like most people should probably avoid them. I think gambling is one of the least entertaining ways to end up broke. Mm-hmm. Those are personal choices that adults make about their own lives. You know, the women's Christian temperance movement are the main villains of this temperance movement from my point of view. They are, of course, opposed to all alcohol and drugs. They are also opposed to all sex work. And... 
they forgot that it's actually very easy to be personally committed to a healthy lifestyle without wanting to put people into cages for having a different opinion than your own. <laughs> um, easiest thing in the world. It's harder to put people in cages than not. They managed to get sex work criminalized in most U.S. states between 1910 and 1915. And to be clear, while they're the Christian women's, women's Christian temperance union, this is not all types of Christians. This is evangelical Christians. Um, and so sometimes I'm a little bit broad with the like Protestant complaint brush, but like this is the evangelicals, not even all Protestants or whatever, right? They were tied into the suffrage movement. Uh, I'm not sure I say all suffragettes were into this, but it was a very big part of it. Um, they were into voting rights for women, which helped the temperance movement dramatically. The, the fact that we get prohibition right when women get the right to vote is not a coincidence. Oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, and, and, and like it comes from like a lot of it comes from this like, well, men are shitty when they're drunk sometimes, right? <laughs> you yeah. Know? And so okay. like it's a legitimate feminist thing to be like, we want men to be drinking less, right? I don't want them to blow the whole paycheck or whatever. Yeah. But more of it was about a larger chunk of the evangelical like temperance movement was women, so when women get the right to vote, that dramatically impacts things in certain ways. And that is like, someone's going to complain that I'm like saying that women should have the right to vote or whatever. Like, it's just everything's fucking complicated. <laughs> and also, they're also into labor rights, the women's temperance, women's Christian temperance, whatever. They're the full f- of contradictions. I know, exactly. In the 1870s, they, they've been around, God, they're still around actually, I think. In the 1870s, they would go in like, pray for and harass customers at saloons kind of the way that like anti-choice people do today outside of like clinics uh-huh. right they would just like hang out and yell at people for drinking you know they worked really hard to americanize immigrants from germany and other like white countries to convince them how real americans don't drink that like american this is that wasp culture that like is so mad at white immigrant culture and this is like Part of the like hatred of Catholics is that they drink, you know? Also, everyone has to learn English according to them. Also, they protested against Christians who drank wine, like at church, like like literally the sacrament of drinking the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, so that you could have your eternal soul saved or whatever the fuck. Um, because no way <laughs> would Jesus's blood have alcohol in it because alcohol is a poison and Jesus is the savior, Okay. So, like, they piss off all the, I think, Episcopals and Catholics. I can't remember who else besides Catholics is a, into the blood-drinking cult. Anyway, they're interesting. They're not cool. In 1913, California passed what's called the Red Light Abatement Acts. And these are modeled on anti-liquor laws from the Midwest. Um, and this act, what it does is it holds property owners financially responsible for the nuisance of people performing la- like sexual labor for money. Because um, at, at its core, sex work is performing labor for money. But it's a nuisance somehow. And, okay. There's a, there's a meme that perfectly sums up how I think about sex work that a sex worker friend of mine <laughs> sent to me. And you know those like exploding head memes where it's like the brain gets bigger and bigger as the, yeah. the thoughts get bigger and bigger. At the, like, the, the top, like the lowest thought is... Sex work is sex and sex is bad. And then it goes up to sex work is sex and sex is good. And then it goes to sex work is work and work is good. And then you get the logical conclusion 
that I think any worthwhile analysis comes to, which is sex work is work and work is bad. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. It's shitty that people trade their bodies for money. You're right, temperance union. It's also shitty with coal mining and it's shitty when it's sitting in a chair 60 hours a week and it's shitty when it's fucking people. It, work is shitty. But you know what isn't shitty is spending the money you make by selling <laughs> your time. <laughs> spending it on stuff. Like Buy that stuff. This stuff. Whatever it is, it'll make you it's happy. Sexy. It's so sexy. Whatever this is, it's just sexy as hell. Imagine. No, I actually I don't want anyone to imagine any of us with anything as relates to this. Imagine uh, someone else with this stuff. Sex. God damn it. Here's some ads. You're going to feel so sexy when you have this stuff. Thank just you. Wait. Thank you. <laughs> Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit tomboyx.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Could just be me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. So at the same time of this temperance union stuff is, is doing its bad shit, a bunch of really cool shit starts happening about women uh, talking about their experiences with work um, in a way that I don't think had been quite so publicly part of the American like public conversation in 1930, all work or sex work? Sex work, sorry. Well, sex as work. sex work as relates to um, wages Labor. for other work. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So 1913, there's this newspaper, the San Francisco Chronicle. And it started telling the sex worker side of the story. Uh, they were running memoir essays from a woman named Alice Smith. And to quote the San Francisco Gate from a modern article about this, quote, she may have been a Midwestern farm girl, as she claimed, lured to California by the siren song of opportunity. She may have been a few women whose collective stories were combined for a single narrative, or maybe she didn't exist at all. But in 1913, there was no doubt about one thing. She was the most famous woman in San Francisco. And the way her her stories were told, according to the San Francisco Chronicle people, what happened is that this woman, the sex worker, 
would come in and dictate, or she would tell her story to a ghostwriter on staff who would then type it up and publish it. And this ran for, I want to say about two months. And this was like the biggest fucking press deal. And it's like, and the paper's doing it a little bit because it's like, oh, we care. And it's doing a lot of it because like, oh, this sells some fucking papers. This, this, yeah, this sells fucking papers. People love sex work stories. Yeah. Yeah. Who's the whore now, baby? (laughs) (laughs) So she wrote about how she became a sex worker. Uh, She wasn't kidnapped and she was laid low by capitalism. She, she moved out to the Bay and she worked a series of shitty jobs, getting yelled at, getting called ungrateful for working. She worked like two months and earned $3, you know? And eventually she found her way to sex work. As she put it, quote, evidently a prostitute is one who sold herself for money. Well, I wondered, was there anybody in the world, according to that, who didn't sell herself or himself for money? Yes. And her memoirs open up a floodgates and over 4,000 letters get sent from sex workers to the San Francisco Chronicle, which published about 300 of them. And the letters describe the author's own circumstances, how Christian families had left them on their street, whether like kicked them out of the house, whether for doing sex work or for simply for having sex before marriage. And there are so many good quotes in these letters. I want to read them all. Oh my I God, know, this I sounds know. fascinating. They're like, I'm sick of working at Walmart. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, now I do sex work. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, quote, why do you speak of us as belonging to the underworld? Who then constitutes the upper world? Is it the men who come to visit us? And why are they in any respect above us? Is the woman who marries for money or for social station any better than we are? Doesn't she not sell herself as well? Yeah, they just. Like, people so aren't good. dumb. They know what's happening to them. You know? Yeah. And hero of the pod, Emma Goldman, my personal friend, Emma Goldman, who I regularly communicate with. <laughs> That's what I thought. Ouija board. <laughs> the birth control activist. She shows up in 1913 and she's basically like, she gives a talk. She, you know, she's an orator. She goes around and gives speeches about issues of the day and stuff because um, there was no podcast. So people had to go um, see people talk in person. And she was like, these letters fucking rule. And she talked about them a bunch at the talk. She was like, this, this, is, this is good. This is great. And supposedly, Alice, if she's a real person, she was in the audience and happy to hear her work recognized. And like the next time she went in, she was like, oh, when saw Emma Goldman talk? This rules, you know. But not everyone was happy to support the sex workers. With 53% of the vote, the Red Light Abatement Act passed. I don't know if that's 53% of like the state Congress or if it was a a ballot measure. I, I don't know. Initially, it, Christian temperance ladies that are... Yeah. Well, they can't vote yeah. yet, actually. Um, oh. This is 1913. Uh, when did women get the right to vote? I want to say 1918. Oh, God. I'm a history podcaster. Do, 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 do. When did women get the right to vote? 1919. Ratified in 1920. Yeah. So, initially... This law passes, the the nuisance law for you know sex work or whatever, um, and it's not enforced. So some folks got really fussy about that, and by that I mean a bunch of right wing grifters did their grifty thing and got rich off of complaining at great length about sexy sexy women. There is this asshole. His name is Reverend Paul Smith of Central Methodist Church. 
He was the kind of guy who stays up late at night unable to rest because he's so bothered by the fact that women danced in public places. Like literally as courts where he was like, and they dance. I bet he's bothered. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's so bothered. Um, he's not just bothered by the strippers. Uh, he's um, bothered by women existing and dancing. Um, he missed Jesus' line about if thine eye offends thee, pluck it out. And was like, if thine eye offends thee, hurt women. <laughs> And like the first couple accounts I read about this guy, it it talks about him as if he's just like going to his church and complaining, right? To his congregants, which is like shitty, but like whatever on some level, I don't know. Um, no, this guy is a lecturer and he is selling out halls like thousands of tickets at a time. Again, giving talks is a good way to whatever. Oh my God, it is a grift. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And he's rallying against sex workers. He's rally, railing against sex workers the whole time. And in these talks, he gets kind of graphic. He goes on and on about how bad these loose women are. Gets into some detail. So a, <laughs> a lot of the audience would leave and go find sex workers to hire. I love that. He's doing like audio erotica. Yeah. And... <laughs> And so sex workers start hanging out nearby when he does talks because it's a good way to get work. Um, his is bullshit fucking sermons. And he would go around and tour these various dance halls to uh, see the proof of the corruption and sin, you know? Um, like, just fucking hire sex workers, bro. Like, you clearly want to. Treat them well. You don't deserve to if sure you're going to be a was, dick. though. Right. He's like, you know, one of those congressmen who's like getting blown in the bathroom and doing all the bills where he says it should be illegal. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. He's so fucking bad. And some of the things that he and his fellow temperance folks complained about included women drinking alcohol, liquor sold without meals, um, women dancing with strangers. And one angry headline was just women free with smiles oh. <laughs> <laughs> what a hater i know just funny because now we have this whole thing where we're trying to not get told to smile like <laughs> now everyone wants us to smile whichever one controls us that's what they want women to do that's the thing yeah. women doing something i t- i didn't give them permission to do what the fuck yeah so his campaigning, and um, among others, but I think he was the most prominent, was finally going to get the Red Light Abatement Act enforced with the set date of Valentine's Day 1917. Because nothing says love like evicting a ton of women from their homes at the same time as you take their jobs away. Most of them are single mothers because women tended to live in the brothels, right? And so he called for a big meeting for everyone in his movement on January 25th, 1917 which is for an event he called a Purity Sunday, which I had to Google and apparently is still a thing. A horribly named thing. Yes. And what he got instead on January 25th, 1917 was the first known sex workers' rights protest in U.S. history. Hey. Um, yeah. There's a, a, a madam named Reggie Gamble uh, who called up and was like, look, let's talk. You say you want to help women? How about you hear from us? I'll come over. And I'll tell you what our life is really like. And he said, yes, of course he did. He is fucking obsessed with sex workers. Um, He also, on some level, 
I don't know. A lot of the articles try to like paint him as like actually caring. I'm not convinced. No. Um, she doesn't show up alone. She shows up with 300 other workers, uh, white and black working together. I wasn't able to figure out Reggie's race, um, my, though my impression was that she had a co-madam who may or may not have been her lesbian partner. Oh. But I'm getting into conjecture land. If Margaret says someone was a lesbian and I'm not providing the receipts, it's just... Uh, Pure fantasy. <laughs> like a slightly informed... You know, I, I spent a lot of time reading this shit, but yeah, totally. Um, so... So Reggie Gamble, to get a, get ready for this, had been working alongside some women who worked for the San Francisco uh, Bulletin Chronicle, whichever one was the one that did the thing. I, I think I wrote it wrong in my script here. Um, the paper that was publishing sex worker accounts. Two of the, the staff writers helped her write a speech, right? Because she was, you know, very good at talking about things, right? But, but not necessarily a writer. And one of the women who helped her write this, this is the weirdest shout out I'm ever going to do on this show, was a, a woman named Rose Wilder Lane who went on to become an early American Libertarian Party activist and a committed anti-racist activism, anti-racism activist. The rare Libertarian win on this show. But credit where it's due. <laughs> Libertarians have always been good about sex worker rights. Not about labor rights, more broadly. Anyway, whatever. Uh, so Rose Wilder Lane helps her write this, uh, write this speech. So they show up to the church. And Reggie Gamble goes up to the pulpit and she gives a speech that was very explicit that this is a labor demonstration. They were very clear that they were fighting for their rights as labor activists. Um, I want to quote an, the author Kim Kelly from her book Fight Like Hell, which if you like this show, you will like the book Fight Like Hell. It is Shout an entertaining- out Kim Kelly. I know. The fucking, fucking best. Yeah. The Writing labor columnist down. for Teen, Teen Vogue. Like- you can't go wrong with Kim Kelly. Kim Kelly also, is amazing. Just amazing. Puts on a bunch of metal shows. Um, it yeah. all ties back together. <laughs> so this is a quote from her book, Fight Like Hell. She swept past him and strode straight up to the pulpit where her words made clear that this was a labor demonstration and that these workers had gathered to discuss wages and their own social and economic oppression. They were not there to convince hard-hearted reformers of the morality of their profession, but were instead there to castigate them for their own role in, per in perpetuating the conditions that left sex workers poor and desperate. You want the city cleaned up around your church, but where do you want the women to go? She asked him. Men here in San Francisco say they want to eradicate vice. If they do, they better give up something of their dividends and pay the girls' wages so that we, so they can live. Yes. Yeah. Basically, they were like, look, if you want to eradicate sex workers, sex work, you need to start by lobbying for higher wages and more education, higher wages for other forms of work and better educational opportunities. And then they're like, wait a minute, just, just kidding. Yeah. Just do the sex work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> they're like, actually, we just have a punishment kink. Uh, <laughs> we think that wages are too high for sex workers and we figure if we criminalize it, it'll go down. Anyway, now that's even more cynical than. Okay, um, another quote was is one of the girls told me that her brother a methodist minister when she applied for help to him only told her to trust in god you can't trust in god when shoes are ten dollars a pair and wages are six dollars a week and i just like fucking love that line amen she also had fun pointing out how clearly he didn't give a shit about jesus because jesus was actually pretty good friends with sex workers 
<laughs> and the the protest wasn't successful. The red it, it, it's stopping the red light law. The red light law went through. On February fourteenth, fourteen hundred women were thrown out of their homes and jobs at the same time. Three quarters of the sex workers um, were single mothers, so it's extra cool to evict them and take away their jobs. And the reverend guy, the asshole, went on to say the day was the most dramatic incident of his life. He did start working towards minimum wage laws, but he never stopped his anti-sex work zealotry. Meanwhile, once this law goes into place, brothel became basically defined as a woman rents this place without a man. So now women can't rent anywhere to live by themselves. Thanks. Wrong. It's called a studio apartment. <laughs> you fucking asshole. A <laughs> hundred years later on the anniversary, sex workers staged a protest on the steps of the same church with many of the same demands. But one thing that changed, we talked about this at the very top of all of it. One thing that changed is sex workers are more organized now. Uh, the three groups that put together this particular protest was the Erotic Service Providers Union, the Sex Workers Outreach Project, or SWAP, and the U.S. Prostitutes Collective, PROS is all capitalized because, you know, they call themselves PROS. Um, and so these three groups organized this new protest. Uh, What's this era that we're in Oh, right yeah, now? sorry. 2017, 100 years later, on the centennial, okay. basically they recreated this protest, um, which is fucking cool. And this protest in 1917 was the first sex worker protest I'm aware of in the U.S., but it is far from the last. Uh, I hope we'll cover more of the more recent organizing, including some of the stuff that you brought up at the top of the show. The strikes and the collectivization and all of that in the future. Rad. Yeah. But that's my sex work in the American West. And there's so much more. I feel like, honestly, there's, there's just so, so much more. And so people should look into more. I love that the successful unionization efforts have happened on the West Coast. Yeah. The Lusty Lady in SF and then now the Star Garden dancers in North Hollywood. Yeah, totally. And if folks are like curious, like what's going on and like all the stuff that like we're talking about, about like decriminalization and all that, like, well, what's the deal? What, you know, I, I, but I'd heard all this stuff. I really recommend, um, well, reading and hearing from sex workers. Um, I would recommend the SWAP, the Sex Worker Outreach proje Project, as like one of the most well put together, like public facing sources of information. Um, because if you think you don't know any sex workers, it just means that you don't know anyone who's uh, had, who's told you. Um, yeah, out. Yeah. Strippers United is also um, an organization that's doing really good work. They have a fascinating Instagram okay. and they have been a part of um, how the Star Garden dancers were able to unionize and gave them a lot of information that helped support that. So they're a cool organization too. Hell yeah. Well, that's what we got. Uh, but what you might got is a thing where you tell people about yourself here at the yes. end of the podcast. Check out Private Parts Unknown. I also love to talk about sex work on that show. And uh, I have another podcast called Podcast Bestie about making podcasts and a podcast called The Bleeders about book writing and publishing. So <laughs> check out my podcast obsession. <laughs> I 
these are many of my interests that you're listing. Um, <laughs> if you want to hear hear me right, it's not hearing. You, most of what you do is hearing, but the thing I'm about to say isn't. I have a Substack like every other podcaster that somehow also has a Substack, uh, but mine's better than anyone else's, um, with the exception of Roberts from Cool Zone Media. And then once Jamie Loftus starts a Substack, that one will also be good or better. For sure. I heard Jamie mention that she might have to start a Substack after complaining about Substacks. So. That's my <laughs> my challenge to her. I write every week uh, about history and preparedness and a bunch of other topics. And then every other, well, half of them are free and public and the other half are more personal and are like memoir and journal and stuff like that. And those you have to pay me because if you want to see inside my head for the stuff that isn't what I'm trying to say to the world, then you can give me some money to do so. And then I can spend it on food that I feed my dog, um, who is a great dog because... I'm also a dog mom. Sophie? What's your substack called? Oh, uh, it's, it's it's technically the title is Birds Before the Storm, but it's just margaretkilljoy.substack.com. Okay, I gotta check it out. Hell yeah. Sophie, what do you got? Sophie, do you uh, have a substack yet? I, n- no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to plug uh, two episodes that Prop did on Hood Politics that are <laughs> called Y'all Don't Sign My Check or Marinate My Chicken. And it's just talking through (laughs) some of some Supreme Court stuff that I think is really important. So you should definitely check those out. Fuck yeah. And we will see you next Monday with more cool people do cool stuff. Bye. Bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.